Andrew and I put together a couple of questions a couple weeks ago, and we sent them out to you, and we asked, we wanted you guys to speak into it. So there were just two questions. Uh, The first question was, hey, over the past year and a half, um, where were you strong? Like, what parts of your life did you discover, like, as, as you were tested, went through this crazy year? Where did you discover in your life that you were strong? And then the second question is, where did you discover that, that you weren't as strong as, as, you, as you thought? And so, man, I was so encouraged just by your responses. And if you haven't filled that out, it's not too late. We can put up that QR code before we leave. Love to, to keep hearing back from people. But I was so encouraged by the places of strength and, 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 and the good things that God was doing in your hearts and your lives over this past year. Um, but I'm excited because for the next six weeks, um, we're going to be using the, the teaching portion of our time together in worship to, to really speak into the areas where we need to grow, where communally, collectively, we, we weren't as strong as we thought that we were. You know, the reality is that this, this past year, in so many ways, was, was a big test. Uh, that this past year, it was so revealing. You see, I believe that God worked through this year to, to uncover all kinds of places, places that were really strong and then places where, where we're not so strong. And he showed us these things. He showed us especially the places that, that were weak, not to discourage us, like not to condemn us or to make us feel bad. Man, he, he, he showed us these things so that we might learn so that we might make adjustments, so that, that we could use this last year to, to, to make adjustments as, as, as going forward. And so, you know, I was thinking about, man, how do I set this series up? How do I talk about today? My wife and I have gotten into this really weird show on Netflix about homesteading. And any of you guys into homesteading, probably not because you live in Nashville, but if you know what homesteading is, it's, it's people who... <laughs> just really want to get away from everybody else and, and live off the grid and, you know, be self-sustaining, grow their own crops and have their own animals and, and not talk to anybody, not see anyone. And so we've kind of gotten into the show and, and not because we don't love people, just because it's like the farthest thing from what we want to do. It's just kind of intriguing. And so the, the whole premise of the show is that there's this expert homesteader, if you could be that. And, and he's been homesteading for 40 for something years. And so he's got all this knowledge and experience and so what he will do is that you have all these, these, these newbie homesteaders, the people who are wannabes, and, and they want to get into it, but they don't know what they're doing. And so they, they um, move out into this random place in Alaska or in Oregon or Pennsylvania, wherever it is, and they start to homestead. And what they realize quickly is they have no idea what they're doing. And so they call in this guy, this expert, to, to teach them, you know, to teach them how to farm, to teach them how to take care of animals, to teach them how to do all these things. And, and one of the things that's so intriguing about this show is that the, the guy's there for a week, and before he leaves, he always puts them through this really hard test. And, and most times they fail the test. And, and, and it's interesting as we're watching the show, because what you realize he's doing is, is that he wants to expose the areas that they're not quite ready and he doesn't do it to make them feel bad. He's not doing it because he doesn't want them to homestead. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He, he knows that in a week he's going to leave. And if they don't figure out how to, to maintain and how to do things without him, that they will fail. They will crumble when he leaves. And he wants them to succeed. And guys, so many things that were exposed this year. God didn't reveal those things because he wants to crush us or so that we'll feel bad or so that we'll sin in shame. No, God revealed those things because he actually wants us to thrive. Think about that. The things that you discovered this year about yourself or about your marriage or about your life that you didn't like, what if God didn't show you those things to make you feel bad? What if he showed you those things because he actually wants you to be stronger so that you could be a light to the world, that, that you could handle anything that came at you? 
you know, lots of places that, that were exposed that we were strong this year. And I want to encourage you, hey, don't neglect those places that you're strong. Some of you worked really hard to, to cultivate like a, a deeper connection with God or in your marriage or even like physically or emotionally. You did some things to really pour into those things and you go, man, I'm strong in these areas. And I, I want to encourage you, don't neglect those things that you've worked so hard for. But what I want to give our attention to the next few weeks is the places that we need to grow. So we'll be ready for the next time. You know, I remember um, when I was in elementary school, um, we did this thing in PE called physical fitness test. Any of you guys do that? Any of y'all remember that? Yeah, this is going to land, I think. Just, I love it when I ask a story and there's like two people and I'm like, okay, let's think of a different example. But so the physical fitness exam, you know, in elementary school, for those of you who don't know what this was, um, every year in PE class, that they, they would try to measure your, your physical fitness. And so, you know, you'd come into this day, and I just, parts of the day I really, you know, liked, and the majority of things I did not like. And so they make you do all these exercises, you know, you have to run a mile, and you have to do that, you know, the sit-up thing, where you can do as many sit-ups as you can. They do that thing where you sit down and you stretch. Remember that thing? Like, what is, what is the point of that thing? Like, that is just, anyways, maybe you can come tell me after this. But you do all these, these, um, th- these exercises and things. And then there was a part that I just absolutely loathed. And it was a pull-up bar. And you get to the pull-up bar and, you know, I, I never could do a pull-up. And so I get to the pull-up bar and I'm like, God, please just let like the school burn down or something before I have to get up to the bar. Like something, let something happen. And you get up to the pull-up bar and I'm like, Lord, please, like, I've, I've never been able to do this before, but like, you know that I have a crush on the girl in the class, and if they'll just help me, like, do one pull-up, and I'm just, like, everything in me, don't move an inch. And so if you can't do a pull-up, they do the thing where you start above the bar, remember that? And it's like, okay, you can't do a pull-up, see how long you can hold it, and it's like, oh gosh. And then after the pull-up bar, you have to climb the rope, which is even more demoralizing, and you know, the, and so all these things happen, and, and I realized that every year, elementary school, we did these things. And every year I dreaded it. Like every year I dreaded the the pull-up bar. Every year I dreaded the rope. Do you know why? Because I never learned from it. Like I just kind of learned to accept. I'm never going to be able to do pull-ups. I'm never going to be able to climb a rope. And so what would happen is I would just, you know, instead of learning from it, instead of doing something about it, I just accepted as it was and I would would dread the next time it would come around. And, 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 And for this series... Man, we're going to be talking about some things that are, that are not super fun to talk about. Places of struggle. Um, and and some, it's going to feel personal sometimes. And sometimes it's not going to maybe feel as personal to you. And that's totally okay. But I want to encourage us. Man, if, if the Holy Spirit starts stirring something, if, if you have that thing inside of you where it, it's something I'm, I'm or Andrew is, is saying is stepping on your toes, pay attention to those things. Because my guess is that what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do is not to be people who, who dread coming to the metaphorical pull-up bars. That in the topics that we're going to be talking about the next six weeks, that, that we would learn from them, that we would adjust and we would do something about it. And so today, we're going to kick off the series by talking about community. And, you know, the, the questions that we sent out, hey, where, where did you struggle this year? This was the most commonly answered question. I struggle the most in community. And a host of different answers, you know, man, I struggle with loneliness this year. 
where, man, I really missed community, where isolation was incredibly tough, or, or now that I'm coming back out of this past year and I'm really struggling to engage with people again. Or, man, I discovered this year that I don't really have community at all. You know, this last year, you probably didn't know this, but it presented all kinds of challenges when it comes to engaging in community and relationships. I mean, we had COVID that we're navigating, which none of us have ever navigated before. We were navigating racial tension in our country. We were, we were navigating a really low-key, no-tense election, you know, like all these just easy things that we walked through last year, and we all did it in isolation, And I don't know about you, but when I think about this past year, words like divisiveness, uh, being offended and and being offensive, um, being careless or being too cautious, um, judgmental, that these words and these kind of thoughts were more at play, at least in my life, than I can ever remember there being. You know, for every story of of someone as as a pastor who... who, um, um, it was, it was a good thing to isolate and, and to be safe. I would hear another story of someone who was isolating and, and it was terribly affecting their life, their emotional health. This past year, man, it was a year of, of being quick to judge, quick to point fingers, quick to assume the very worst and very slow to understand, very slow to listen. Um, this year, everyone had an opinion and it was usually full with emotion. And we had people that were outspoken and people who spoke nothing. Um, People who believed things passionately and people who didn't know what they believed. And yet here we are as a community, a community of of Christ followers, people who are trying to, to give this faith thing a shot to see if it's real. And here we find ourselves in the wake of a very hard year with all kinds of feelings. Man, below the surface, man, some of us, we're so excited, thankful to be back in this space. Some of us are really nervous, fearful to be back together. Some of us are, are super proud of how you acted this year, and some of you, man, are completely regretful. Some are thankful to, to be with people who think like you, and some are sitting here and going, I don't know what to do with people who don't think like me. And I go, what do we do? How do we learn from this year? How do we become a stronger, healthier community going forward? You know, this week I was really drawn to this story that my wife read, Mark chapter three, the calling of the 12 apostles. And I think that there are are some characteristics that we see in this community that I wanna just draw our attention to this morning. But there are are three things that that kind of rose to the surface I want us to talk about for a few minutes. That this group, this community, these 12 around Jesus, they shared a calling. They shared a leader. And they shared a cause. They shared a calling. They shared a leader. They shared a cause. You know, and it was these three characteristics that proved to be strong enough um, to unite a group of people that were not uniform. That, that what you discover about these 12 is that they had different personalities and different opinions with different life experiences. And yet what they shared in common 
what was most important to them, united them and did more than unite them, that, that they were a part of something that continues to bless people, that each of us who are followers of Jesus, that what they were a part of blesses us 2,000 years later. Think about the power of a community that their impact long outlasts their lifetime. 2,000 years later, we're reaping the, ben- ben- the benefits, the, the benefits of, of this community and what they shared in common. You know, this, they were not the same. They didn't think alike. They didn't act alike. They didn't come from the same background, the same city, the same upbringing. You know, you see in, in verse 16, and we're introduced to Peter, the very first person that's listed on our list in Mark chapter 3. And what you discover as you read about Peter in the Gospels is that Peter was really quick to speak, quick to act, boastful, prideful. How many of you resonate with that? <laughs> or you're like, I know, but my spouse does. Like that's, <laughs> Peter says things like this in the Bible. Jesus, he says it's in front of his friends. Like imagine you're sitting at a party with your friends and someone stands up and says, even if all these jokers, you know, betray you, I never will. Like who says that? And he said it. James and John, I love this. You know, Jesus gave them the nickname, Sons of Thunder. <laughs> They're like, that's pretty cool. You know what Sons of Thunder means? It means hot-tempered ones. Loud ones. Think about that. Jesus is hanging out with James and John, and he gets into it, and he's like, your nickname is Hotheads. <laughs> Man, we meet Thomas. Thomas, who's cynical, standoffish, slow to believe. I will not believe unless I see, is what he said. You have Matthew, who is a a Jewish man, who was a tax collector, which means that that he essentially denied his Jewishness to go and work for the Roman government, the, the government that was oppressing his very people, overtaxing taking advantage of. And he just kind of said, you know who, who cares about my people? I'm making money. I'm living life however I want. You have this guy who has completely betrayed his Jewish people. And in the same group of people in the same room, you know who Jesus chose? Simon the Zealot, a Jewish nationalist. Someone who would have stormed the White House. You think about this. What Jesus did. This is not a uniform group. And neither is the body of Christ today. Neither is this body of believers. You have introverts, you have extroverts. You have people who are quick to speak. You have people who are slow to believe. You have sevens and threes and fours and twos. You have Democrats and Republicans. And I go, do you, do you want to be a part of a community that blesses generations after you? Do you believe that's possible? Or are you so fixed on your little life? I want to talk through these quickly because I want to get to the application this morning. They shared a calling in verse 13. Listen to this. Jesus went up on a mountain and he called to them, those he wanted. You know, in their day, rabbis didn't call people. And so it it worked kind of like college. If you were interested in learning something, you would seek out a rabbi. You would seek out someone that that you wanted to learn from and spend time with. And do you notice how different the ways of Jesus are? That, That Jesus doesn't wait for Peter and James and John to come to him. No, Jesus, what does he do? He calls them. Think about that, that, that this crowd of people 
And Jesus goes, Travis, and Kimberly, and James, and Brian, and Matthew. They would be like, me? Jesus, you're calling me? Jesus knew their names. He wanted them. He called them. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. Guys, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've got to understand this. If you're a part uh, of the body of Christ, it is because Christ called you. And the enemy is going to try to convince you that otherwise, no, you're just a product of your environment, man. If you would have grown up in India, you would have been Hindu as well. No, the reason you know Christ is because Christ knew you and he set his affection on you and he called you to himself by name. He called you. This, this community, they shared a calling. We share a calling that the God of the heavens has called us into life with him. He's called us to him. It's not that we share a call. It's not that they shared a call and they, they shared a leader. We share a leader. Man, what, what were they called to? They were called to Jesus. Man, there was something about Jesus's life that was so different, that was so compelling. The way he taught, the way that he treated people, the way that he knew how to stand up to the spiritual bullies and include those who felt like they completely squandered their life. There was something about this man who was always on, who always knew what to do. There was something about this man who would get up early and spend time with the Father, this guy who would stay up all night spending time in prayer. There was something about his life that was so different than their rabbis than anyone else they'd ever been around. There was something about Jesus that was magnetic. And when Jesus says, come, there was something about him that made them drop everything in their lives to follow him. The kindness, the power, the miracle-working, mercy-giving man from Nazareth. You see, they came to understand that he wasn't just an ordinary man, that he was a son of God, God in the flesh, that, that he was the one the Jewish people had prophesied about and been waiting on, that he was the one who would one day come back that every person who has died, that Christ, when he returns, that, that he would raise them from the dead, that Christ will stand in front of every single person who has ever lived and he will judge every person. And they knew this. They knew that, that he was the man that would that take away the sins of the world, that they knew he was the man that, that one day every person would stand before and those who put their faith in this Jesus who were covered by the blood and the grace of this Jesus, who knew this Jesus. You would spend the, the rest of eternity enjoying him, enjoying his inheritance. They knew that he wasn't just the, the judge to reward the righteous, but that he was the judge to, to punish and to condemn the wicked. Those who in this life want nothing to do with God, who have rebelled, who have shut him off, who say to God, I want nothing to do with you in my life. And Jesus says that for those who shut him out of their lives, he said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, these, these disciples, they saw in Jesus one who told the truth. Man, he, he didn't hold back the truthful words. 
to become more appetizing or appealing to the crowds that, that they knew that this man, he was willing to risk his life and his reputation so that all people would know the fullness of who he was. They looked at Jesus and saw the man who had all wisdom and knowledge, the fullness of God. Verse 14 says that Jesus called them that they might be with him. They shared a calling. They shared a leader. And they shared a cause. I love verse 14. It says that he appointed them, they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. You know what's so beautiful about their community is that their community didn't just live for themselves. That their community lived to include those who were not yet included. That the community pointed outside of itself, that they understood that, that their cause was to go and to preach, to tell those who didn't know about Jesus. To, to help those who were demon-possessed, to those who in this life are just being bombarded and overwhelmed with the enemy. And Jesus says, I'm appointing you to go and help them. They shared a calling. They shared a leader. They shared a cause. And what you discover is that, that these characteristics were strong enough to, to survive the test, to survive the fires. And I go, man, it wasn't that it didn't have struggles and that there weren't moments that came and it's like they still had differences. It wasn't like they all become this uniform group of people, but, but you do discover that what happened to them is that, is that their cause and their leader and their calling took precedence over everything else. Like what happened to Simon the Zealot? And what happened to Matthew? Man, did, did they have a change of life? Did they have a change of opinion? We don't know, but what we do know is that this compelling man, this compelling vision was worth laying everything aside for. There are two pieces of application I want us to look into. You know, I, I love talking about this type of community. But what does it look like for us to, to embody this, to be this? And the first is, is this, that if we are going to be a part of a community, that makes a difference long after we are gone, we must show up. Must show up. You know, in order to be with Jesus, these disciples had to go where Jesus went. So quite literally, when Jesus said, hey, today, when you get up, it's time to go to Capernaum. We're crossing the Sea of Galilee. If, if they wanted to go with Jesus, they had to go with Jesus. They had to show up. And what they discovered as they showed up is that it wasn't an individual pursuit, that there were others who were taking Jesus at his word, who were following Jesus. You know, this past year, in several different ways, we didn't really have the choice and the ability to show up. For a lot of the year, it was, man, stay home, stay safe. Some of you hated it. Some of you loved it. You love the convenience of it, man. You love not having to be around people. And, and, and you have to, it's, a, it's a choice, right? And Lord was just impressing on my heart the importance of just showing up. And that sounds funny, but, but, but each day, each moment, making the choice to, to show up the same way that the disciples did. Like if you want to be involved with, with the real Jesus, like if you want to actually follow him and not try to make him follow you, you got to show up. Man, do I make time for each, each day to spend time with the Lord, devotional time, just you and him? Show up. 
You don't know where to start? Man, read through Luke. Read a chapter of Luke every day. You don't know how to pray? Do this. This is what I teach my kids. Tell God something you're thankful for. Man, pray for somebody in your life who's struggling, who needs God's help. And then ask God for anything that you need. Man, show up. Spend time with the Lord each day. Man, do, but, but don't just read about the word and don't just pray. Do the things that God reveals to you. Show up. Put them into practice. Man, do, we, we wrestle with this. On Sunday, man, do, do I sleep in? On Sunday, my, my day off, my encouragement is, man, show up. Man, do I take Sunday off for myself? And, and my, my, my guess is that the more and more that culture infiltrates and, and gets a hold of our thinking, man, it's gonna be easily to, to start thinking like that, to start thinking about us instead of the community. And my encouragement is, man, show up. When your kids are being hard and you had a rough night, show up. When you're anxious, when you're nervous about being around people, show up. When you've been in sin, show up. When you're tired of being around people, show up. Showing up is part of the way that we become this community. And it makes sense. Like if, if you don't show up, what is there? Show up. But it's not that we just show up as to become this community. The second part, I think, is, is just as important, if not more. We show up, and if we want to become a community that makes a difference long after us, we must open up. You see, what I love about the apostles is that, that they were a work in progress, becoming like Jesus every day. But here's the thing. Um, they were a work in progress on display for their community to see. You know, Jesus, he, he called out and he corrected Peter and James and John and the 12 in front of the community. And so you see this moment where Jesus stands up and he says, Jesus, I will never betray you. And you know what Jesus looks at him and says in front of the community? Peter, you're gonna deny me three times that you know me. But I've prayed for you, Peter, that, Peter, that your faith will not fa fail you. But that when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. Or James and John, they have this moment where, where literally this, this village rejected Jesus and they go, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? Literally, that's what James and John said. And Jesus looks at them and it says that he rebuked them in front of the other apostles. Or Thomas, it was that moment where Jesus looked at him and said, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Or Jesus confronts the 12 in front of the crowds and he says, where is your faith? And what I was just thinking about is just the real human side of that. That I guarantee you that all of these guys, if they were writing their own story, they would not include those moments in their lives. They just wouldn't, just like we wouldn't. I'm sure it's embarrassing and frustrating and, and, they, and they look back with such disappointment and shame. But I want you to know, man, their blunders become our blessing. Here's what I mean. Imagine if, if we didn't have the story of Peter denying Jesus three times. Like if, if we didn't read that story in the Bible, would we really believe that God could forgive us? And not just forgive us, reinstate us and use us in greater ways than we were even used before before it. Would we believe it? 
Or with, with James and John, if, if we didn't have this story of, of, hot, of hot-tempered, hot-headed, loud James and John, where Jesus rebukes them, would we really believe that, that God would have mercy for us? People who struggle with anger, being hot-headed. Or what about if we didn't have Thomas's story of being cynical and slow to believe? Would we really believe that, that, that God draws near to us, that God helps us if we didn't have his story? You see what we discover is that their blunders become our blessing. That we learn about the graciousness and the compassion and the mercy of God through their failures. And not that it just blesses us, it blesses them. You know, the places that, that they failed the most are the places that his grace covered the most. Jesus says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Why do we live such shut off, scared lives? Man, have you ever sat down with someone and they opened up and they, and they really let you know what was going on in their heart, in their life? I have not one time sat down with someone who opened up and said, man, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I am. There's not one time where I thought, man, you're a terrible person. I There's no hope for you. And maybe you did that one time and, and someone said that to you and that is not the ways of Jesus. I'm telling you, when I sit down with someone who opens up, my heart Im- immensely goes out to them. And I love them so much more. And they have someone who's fighting in their court, someone who's praying for them and gonna check on them and encourage them. When someone lets me in in their life, I view that as an invitation to come alongside and to partner with Jesus to bring help, to bring healing. And it's not that you just benefit. The community benefits. Man, when, when I share my struggles, man, you learn. You're not the only one that struggles. You ever realize that? Like when, when someone you really look up to and, 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 they, and they confess some things, you're going, oh, you're just like me. Well, yeah. But we, we build up this thing in our mind. Where we go, oh, they don't struggle like I do. They don't have the thoughts like I do. They're, they don't struggle with the same things that I do. And we're just pretending. We're just hiding. And we're missing out on being a community that makes a generational impact. You know what happens when, when you hide? Things go into hiding when they die. A wounded animal, it goes and hides when it's ready to die. You know how you know you're serious about, uh, about, about thriving? Man, when you reach out for help. When you come into the light where there's healing. And you're not going to find that by yourself. And, and, and what I'm not doing today is, is telling you that you need to just, you know, stand up right now and tell everyone in this room all the things that you've done. Like, that's not helpful for anybody. Man, but, but let's not hide. Find someone, find a couple of people that, that you can really open up to, that you can confess your sin to, that you could find healing and help. It's, it's being transparent. It's being real. It's not hiding. So what this looks like, man, when, when we take communion, each week when we take communion today, don't give a shallow answer. Go deep. 
Man, get to know other people that are a part of this church family. Get coffee with them. Grab lunch. And when you're sitting down talking, you don't have to, to, to tell them your full life story the first time you're hanging out, but, but refuse to stay shallow on the surface. Go deep. When we get into house churches in September, man, make the commitment to open up. And the question for us is, is do we want to be a community like this? That walk with the real Jesus. That, that get to be a part of, of blessing the world. That our life, that our impact will long outlive our lifetime. Here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. And the way that we do this every week is we encourage you to, to circle up your chairs, to take a minute or two with the people around you, people that you know, people that you came with. And even if you don't, I mean, I encourage you to get with some other people, three or four people. And we're going to wrestle with these couple of questions. And so as you're, as you're talking through them, man, break the bread, drink the cup, and, and just open up. Man, make the choice that I'm going to show up and I'm going to open up week in and week out and see what God will do with your life. And the reality is that, that you're going to have no idea the way that God's going to bless you. The way that he's going to bless this community to bless the city, the neighborhood around us. But if we'll make these two choices, to show up, open up. God will bless it. So let's take communion now. Um, I'll get back up in a few minutes and I'll call us back into to a time of worship. Um, but right now, let's take a few minutes, Tim, if you'll, oh, thanks for putting that up. Um, let, let's wrestle with these questions. As you're taking the bread, as you're drinking the cup, man, really uh, understand that his grace is poured out on you. So there's no shame, there's no fear here. Man, let God in, let God in. Let, it, let others in. Love you. Let's take communion. I'll get back up in a minute.